to welcome you to Woven. Welcome to Woven, and um, <clears throat> we're starting a new series today, starting a new series, a study through the book of Daniel. It's called No Compromise, it's Lessons from Daniel on Standing Firm. If you can pull up that graphic, it will uh, show our theme for this season as we go through the book of Daniel. And I'd like to kind of set the stage with a story for this new teaching series and in particular for today. When I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, I confided in an older Christian brother. Uh, His name, interestingly, was Danny. It was Danny. And I shared with him how, as a new Christian, I was having difficulty with the other kids in school, in particular them being a bad influence on me. And I always kind of went with the crowd. I was pretty good you know, socially integrated, but at the same time, oftentimes it was too easy for me to do what the other kids were doing. And so I asked Danny, the older Christian brother, how can I, how can I not be influenced by them? And his answer was, was a good answer, so much so that I still remember it today, 30, almost 30 years later. And his answer to me was, the question is not how to not be influenced by the other kids as much as it is how can I be an influence? It's not so much how to not be influenced, how can I be an influence was the question. And uh, really, if you kind of compare this or you know, combine this with a football analogy, uh, the best defense is a good offense. In other words, if you are charging the goal, constantly going towards the goal, you can let the others play your game. The defense is not a concern as long as you are continually being a good influence. Now that story is a good story because it sets the stage for Daniel in a way where Daniel and the people of Israel were surrounded by bad influences. Bad influences that may have led them astray, led them to do things But at the same time, in the midst of all of the foreign nations, Daniel, instead of playing defense, how can I not be influenced, he decides to go forward in a proactive manner and becomes a good influence. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. You'll see in your notes two halves of our talk. The first piece is the effects of bad influence. The effects of bad influence, and then the second half of today, we're going to talk about being a good influence. So the effects of bad influence and being a good, a good influence, and we're going to start right away with that first half with Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Thus opens our study through the book of Daniel for this season. And uh, there is one phrase I want to hone in there. It says, the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar. What is the land of Shinar? Well, quite simply, it is Babylon. It's another word for Babylon. It has this very um, Middle Eastern kind of almost exotic sense about it, that word, it's, it's uh, you know, Shinar, uh, interesting name. Geographically, Shinar today is the southeastern part of Iraq. 
So it's in that part of the world. Now, biblically, Shinar was connected with the Tower of Babel. And so you have the Tower of Babel, you have Shinar, you have Babylon. All of these places and these locations are associated with, um, in the words of one commentator, false religion, self-will, and self-aggrandizement. And so if I might speak to you, self-will, self-aggrandizement, false religion, where are the places, where are the places where you are tempted towards self-aggrandizement? Where are the places in your life where you are tempted towards self-will run riot? Where are the places in your life where you might be tempted to false religion? What I love about the book of Daniel is it speaks about particulars, but at the same time it speaks universally. And while Daniel can talk about Shinar, it can also speak about the Shinars of your life today. Where are these places where false religion runs rampant? Maybe you might be going there tomorrow as you head to work. And like Daniel, you must stand out. You must not so much be influenced, but you must be an influencer. Shinar is something that is very particular in the book of Daniel, but it also has universal implications. Shinar can mean anything from uh, Babylon. It can also, it can also uh, Daniel talks about the coming Greek empire, but at the same time, we can talk about the empires of today. We can talk about the places where we compromise. You know, the title of this series is No Compromise. And what happens in these places, in these places where you might go, where there's a practice of false religion, or the place where you might, you might, you, your self-will will run rampant. These places are the places that sometimes God brings us to, sometimes for different reasons, out of exile, or for whatever reason it is. And listen to these opening words. Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Babylon comes to Jerusalem and besieged it. And so these are the opening words of the book of Daniel, words that are dystopic. And I'm sure younger people here don't know what that means. So I'll describe to you what is happening here in the opening words of Daniel. Say it's about 8 o'clock on a Sunday night, 8, 8 o'clock p.m. on a Sunday night, and uh, mom and dad tell you, kids, it's time for you to go to bed or time for you to go to your rooms because we have our television show we want to watch. And you always kind of wonder what they're watching. You know, is it, Dad, what are you watching? Mom, is it on AMC or Netflix? But whatever the case is, you go to your room and then you hear, you know, you hear the TV or you peek through the door and you'll, you'll see zombies. Or you'll see artificial intelligence. Or you'll see a wasteland. Or you'll see something really depressing. The thing is, that's kind of what's happening these, in these opening words of Daniel. It's the end of the world, whether it's a zombie apocalypse or an artificial intelligence or something that basically causes everything to fall apart. The highways, don't, uh, the highways are shut down, the water doesn't run anymore, and it's the end of the world. That is the setting and the context for Daniel. The way Daniel opens up is on this theme of the Armageddon. 
And there's a side note here. I'd like to take us a little bit deeper. I really, really want to keep these Daniel talks practical. But at the same time, there's, there's just some stuff that, that's so interesting. And I'm going to teach this. It's, it's, it's uh, going to rewind the story a little bit. A few kings before uh, Jehoiakim, there was the last great king of Israel, the last great king, the last good king. Anybody who knows who that king is wins the door prize. Anybody? It's Josiah. Josiah was the last good king of Israel. And what he did that was so great in comparison to all of the others was he turned Israel back to the Lord. Josiah instituted mass reforms. He said, we're going to worship only God, the God of Israel. We're going to, um, we're going to break down the idols. He restarted the Passover. So all of these things, basically reforming Israel, reforming all of Israel. But something happened one day. Josiah went to meet Pharaoh Necho of Egypt in battle. And when they went to battle, they clashed at a place called Megiddo. Megiddo, uh, and there's a mountain at Megiddo. The Hebrew word for mountain is Har. And so Josiah at Har Megiddo, listen carefully, at Har Megiddo, uh, Josiah rather, not Joseph. Did I say Joseph? Josiah. And that's an important point. But (laughs) Josiah gets shot with an arrow and he gets killed. And it happens at Har Megiddo. And if you listen to that word Armageddon, that's where we get our word Armageddon from, Armageddon. All to say that there's n- multiple interpretations about the Armageddon, and we can talk about that, but in a very real sense, when Josiah died at Armageddon, it really was the end of the world for the Jewish people. It really was the end of the world for them. You might as well have shut down the highways and cut off the water and electricity and you'd all have to get uh, crossbows and you know, wear a sword on your back and that's the only way we're going to survive because it was the end of the world. It was the end of the world. It was Armageddon. Once Josiah fell, for Israel, everything else was basically just waiting for the inevitable. And finally, the inevitable happens Daniel is like a Netflix melodrama. It's like an AMC program. It is dystopic. It's depressing. And the question that we ask is, why did Israel fall? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Was it because, of, was it because uh, Skynet finally got up and running? Or was it because the, the in zombie influenza? What is the cause of this? We can ask those questions. We can ask, was it because God wasn't strong enough to stop the end of the world? Was it because Babylon was too strong? Nobody could stop Babylon. Or was it because of another reason? Was it because we were weak? We sinned. We failed. And therefore, we invited this suffering onto ourselves. You see... We're talking about influence. We're talking about bad influence. And for younger people here, you might think of the people that you spend time with at school that would cause you to do things, that would cause you to fail school, that would cause you to flunk out. And we can talk about how these bad influences come to us. But here is the thing. Daniel makes no such evaluation Daniel doesn't sit on the floor and ask the question, why is this happening? Was it my sin? Was it something I did wrong? Daniel doesn't do that. 
Think of it this way. Let's say for some of the younger kids, I'm really trying hard to make this relevant for a younger audience. But think, let's say you're at the grocery store with mom, and mom is carrying your baby sister. Mom's got a cartload of groceries, and you're observing this whole thing that's about to happen. And as she's carrying the baby, she's giving the money to pay the cashier, but baby grabs the money and eats it. And, you're pa- and mom's panicking, and as she's panicking, the wheel on the cart falls off. And the grocery cart flips over, and the eggs break. And mom, in trying to figure out, slips on the eggs, and as she goes down, she punches the cashier in the nose, who's profusely bleeding now. So does mom sit on the floor and say, why is this happening to me? Does mom do that? She could, and she'd have every right to do that. She'd have every right to sit on the floor and say, why? Why is this happening? Daniel doesn't do that because every good mom knows the first thing you need to do is get the the money, that money out of the baby's mouth. And so the question in Daniel, it's not why. Daniel doesn't answer these questions. The theological word for it is theodicy. Daniel doesn't concern itself with theodicy or questions of why. Daniel asks the question, what now? It's happened we can cry on the floor and say, I don't want to do anything. Please, I need pity. This is, there's, I, I, you know, we can sit on the floor. Let's write a 12-page paper on the theodicy and the suffering. This is why this is happening to He doesn't do that. What Daniel asks instead is, now what? What do we do? And in the midst of this, Daniel doesn't so much play defense and say, I just can't be influenced anymore by them. He plays offense and says, what does it mean to be a man or a woman of God in a place that is adverse to my faith. Nothing is more relevant for you as you go out into the world tomorrow, Monday to Friday, into work or into your lives or into your context or maybe your schools. The question that is asked of us in Daniel is, what now? Well, I don't like my job. I don't like the school. I don't like the kids I hang out with. But the question is, what now? And that is why Daniel, I think, is so relevant. So relevant. And we continue on. We continue on here with verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking. That helps showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered, Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz to teach these young men the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is another word for Babylonians. I know it's confusing, Shinar, Chaldeans, it's all the same, Babylon. And mind you, I want you to understand that as much as this is talking about handsome young men, I do think that there is a way that we can take this to apply to both Handsome young men, but beautiful young women. You all have influence. Your use of it is what makes you beautiful. And the thing about this story, the thing about these three verses that I've just read, is bringing in this, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you've got Daniel and then his entourage behind him, you know. And they kind of come onto the scene and they walk up and wow, they are really going to change the world, these young people. 
And the thing about this, these few verses, is that it reminds you of something else. I mistakenly said the, the name Joseph, right? I was talking last night with my friend, uh, and uh, he said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I'm preaching on Daniel. And he said, great, Daniel. Da- was, that when, was that when he ran off with Potiphar's wife? And, and I said, no, 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 that's Daniel, but I'm glad you made that connection. I'm glad you made that connection because there is a connection. There's something about a young person, now I'm speaking particularly to you, young people who are committed to God, not compromising. And there's something about a young person that is committed to God that you become part of the story that is written again and again and again throughout history. In that regard, Daniel and these young men, they should probably have seen something in their experience in, in the past, in the story of Joseph. And instead of saying, man, this is so terrible. Why is this happening to me? I can't, the egg's broke. I'm on the floor. The cashier's nose is bleeding. But instead of crying over spilled milk, what they may have recognized is we are in a place just like Joseph was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And we too can stand and do the right thing in this context. Friends, today, 3,000 years later, this story can still be your story. You can be the next beautiful young woman or handsome young man, and hopefully you won't be alone like Joseph, but you will have some friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and together, standing for what is good, what a blessing it is that they were together at least. I mean, imagine how hard it was, how hard it was for Joseph to be all alone and to have to do the right thing. And then when he got into trouble, or at least the trouble found him, there were no witnesses. There was nobody watching his back. Well, at least with these four, they could stand together. And they said, we're going to stand. We're going to stand together. We're not going to compromise. If you have those relationships, knit yourself to them. Knit yourself to it. Knit yourself. Weave it into your life. Woven together holding on, pressing through, even through the difficult circumstances. Daniel, like Joseph, would show young people today how to make a stand. In the midst of bad influence and, you know, I don't know what the influences are in your lives. I don't know what it is particularly that would cause you to, that would trigger you. I hope you can take comfort from these words in Daniel. You know, I know uh, in years past we'd have small groups and I would hear some of the stories and some of the things that would happen in the workplace in particular after hours, how hard it must be to live as a Christian. And yet, what more do they need to see in your life but integrity and character? So, that's the first half talking about how not to be influenced or the effects of bad influence, but let's kind of move into the second piece about being a good influence, 
being a good influence. And listen to verse 5. As we make our way, verse 5, it says, The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And the king appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. To, Han- to Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And I've already, you know, we did the Daniel plan not too long ago. And in that series, I've spoken, I've taught a little bit about what's behind those names. There's, there's something happening there. Um, I won't go into that right now, but I want to draw your attention to something else. There are a couple of words here that I'd like you to pay attention to, maybe even underline. And that word is assigned. Assigned. And in the midst of all of this, Daniel is being faithful to God, but Nebuchadnezzar is controlling. He's pulling the strings. So Nebuchadnezzar, he tells the chief official, give them new names. He says, okay, this is your new name. Uh, You know, Hananiah, you are now Shadrach. Man, I hate that name. I don't want Shadrach. I don't want to be Shadrach. What? I, I want to be Hananiah. No, from now on, your email address is no longer Hananiah97 at gmail.com. You are now Shadrach2018 at Gmail. Your social security numbers and name and your documents have all been changed. In fact, we're going to brand it on your skin. So you are no longer Hananiah. So that word assigned, assigned there, it speaks about setting upon setting upon, and there's a word play here that doesn't translate into the English very well. I'd just like to call that to attention. So when the official assigns them new names, there's a sense where it's against their will, literally translates the official set upon them or put upon them this new identity. He says, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight that identity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight, I'm going to resist that. I just tell a, a really quick story on a side note. I, a couple of nights ago, I had a dream that I was, um, <clears throat> I was, at, I was uh, going to a conference, a pastor's conference, and for some reason, the secret police were rounding us up, and they were gathering us, and they were beating people. And <laughs> in the midst of that, I, I stood up and I shouted, fight the power. <laughs> and I just kind of, you know, I was, I, I was ready to get beaten up, and that's what happens when you study Daniel too much. That's what happens when you have Daniel on your mind. Well, the thing is, what Daniel does here essentially is he stands up and even though they're giving them new names, he's standing up against them. He's still saying, you know, he's resisting. And how do we know that? Because in verse 8, it says, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. It's the same word there in Hebrew, the same word for assigned. And so just as they're forcefully setting upon them new identities, new names, in the same way Daniel's saying, you can force us, you can brand our skin, you can change our email addresses, you can change our social security, but you will never change my heart because I've set upon my heart. Just as forcefully as the world would try to set upon our hearts, just as forcefully as they would dictate their ethics upon our lives, we can just as forcefully resolve within ourselves that I will not compromise. Now, there's a difference between stubbornness and resolve. Stubbornness, on the one hand, may be resistant to the good that comes, but at the same time, resolve says, I'm going to do it the way the Lord says, and eventually everyone will see that you're right. 
they will see that you're right. What we're talking about, friends, is resolve. I remember for me in youth group, resolve meant burning my cassette tapes, my secular music. I burn good stuff, man. Rick Astley, you know, you want to talk about Rick Rolling? I was the original. I, I, I've got that song still memorized in my head. Uh, George Michael, Faith, you know, where he's kind of on the cover like this and he has a cross earring. I, I burned it. I, I lost that. I threw it away. But that was resolved. Now, whether that's what you should do, I'm not saying that's what you should do. But at the same time, there is this need for resolution upon our hearts. And we say, ah, that's what we did when we were in youth group. I don't need that kind of resolution today. Compromise? What's the big deal? I think being a good influence, it requires a little bit of a forceful commitment. Some kind of stand, taking some kind of a stand. And it says that Daniel set upon his mind, I won't. He, he put upon himself. He set upon his own heart. That's what literally it translates, not just his mind, but upon his heart. He sets upon his heart, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. And so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. We'll end there. But there's one last thing that I find interesting here that I want to point out. I've talked about the King's Choice Food when we were doing the Daniel Plan series. We are talking about that, that, that word, the, the, the pat bog, the pot bag word there. The King's Choice Food, if you're wondering what that's about, you can find it on the podcast. But the thing that I want to call attention to is the wine. That's what I'm interested in. Not only am I interested in the wine piece, but scholars have been very, very interested a lot of ink spilled about this one word, wine. And the presence of the word wine in this passage makes them question, why, why is Daniel not eating the food? Because, you see, if he didn't want to eat the king's food because maybe there was pork in there, it's unkosher. It's unkosher. I heard on NPR recently, uh, wait, wait, don't tell me, a comedy. Um, I sidetracked. Wine. Wine is not unkosher. There's no restriction in the law against wine. There's no problem with wine. And so why is wine mentioned? Why is Daniel withholding or withdrawing from the food? Was it because he was observing the law? Not necessarily. Because if you wanted to observe the law, it would say he, he, he refrained from pork, he refrained from uh, animals with blood still in them, and, and stuff like that. But instead, he went the extra mile. I mean, why pass on the wine? Why pass on the good stuff? Was it devotion? Was it intense devotion? Was it, I'm, I, I, I'm doing this so that out of devotion to the Lord, well, you know, you really don't have to, you know, cut out all those things from your diet. I know. But for me, it's an expression of devotion. You know, there's a lot of things in life that are kosher, a lot of things in life that are okay, but sometimes it is helpful to cut them out for whatever reason, whatever reason it is, if anything, for resistance. Well, it's his wine. I'm not going to drink it. It's the king's food. I don't want to be beholden. Imagine if, you, imagine if you have your baby, Chen, and then after one year, the baby says, Mom, you know, you know, here comes the airplane, you know, the, the food's coming, and the baby says, no, Mom, I'm not going to be dependent upon you anymore. I'm going to feed myself. So give me the spoon. I'm going to take care and learn how to take care of myself and feed myself. 
So there's an act of resistance. I mean, imagine if that's what it was like. Maybe that's what it is like. It's an expression of not being codependent or dependent any longer on the Babylonians. But whatever the case is, find your reason. Find your reason is what I'm saying. Don't change your appetite just because the church is doing Daniel plan. Don't choose to live or make certain choices towards Christian living just because it's what everybody's doing. Find your motivation and responsibility. We talked about this last Sunday. That what we want to do here at Woven is trigger motivation. We want to trigger responsibility. Whatever the case may be, don't do the Daniel plan or don't eat just vegetables or all that stuff just because we're all doing it. Find your reason. Whether it is resistance, whether it is protest, whether it is devotion, well, you really don't have to keep off the wine. There's nothing unkosher about it, but that's just something I need to do right now. It's just something I need to do to turn my life around. Find your motivation. In the end, whatever the case is, we don't know exactly why Daniel wouldn't eat the food, but we know that he would not be influenced. We know that he would not be influenced, and I want to wrap up with this last thought. So what does this mean for Christians? What does this mean for us today? These opening words of Daniel, as I've kind of set the stage for this series and this study through the book, I think what this means to us is that living in adverse contexts is not something that just happens to the Jews. It happens to all of us. Living in exile even, it's been almost, you know, I'm coming up on eight and a half, almost soon nine years here in Houston. And I've all, you know, the last eight years I've asked myself, how, how did I end up here? I love it. I, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I love it here. But how did I end up here? My whole family and all of my relatives, the entire clan up in New York, and that separation, and that sense of being locked out of the house. I mean, not that I'm locked out of the house, but that sense, that's what exile is. You're removed. You're no longer in a place of comfort. You're no longer in a familiar surrounding. That is the message, I think, for Christians today. That whether you are in exile forcibly or voluntarily, one way or another, the gospel message is intended to be disseminated out into the world. And if we intend to keep it amongst ourselves, then either God will either have to forcibly bring us to exile, or we will need to step out ourselves. That's why our vision, our vision is to be a diverse church community for the greater Houston metro area. Because I, for one, was no longer content doing the holy huddle just among Korean Americans. And I recognized that there was something fundamentally wrong with that, that we could speak English just fine, we could interact in the culture just fine, and yet church was not a place where we could disperse, where we could disseminate the gospel message. It became an ethnic place where it was a social society with, 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 with all of the trappings of, 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 of culture. Culture is a gift. It's a gift, but at the same time, I think the Christian message from Daniel is God will continually bring us to the outskirts. God will continually press us, sending us even to the outskirts of the familiar. And if we refuse to budge, 
Sometimes it's just going to happen. I think maybe that's my, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's me venturing at an answer to that question, why? Why did this happen? Why? Why? Because they were meant to be a light to the nations. Do you hear Genesis 12? Go. Go from your father's house. I will bless you. I'll make you great. You will be a blessing. Those you bless will be blessed. Those you curse will be cursed. And through you, all the families of the earth. The gospel message as it is rooted all the way back in this Jewish story. It was meant to go out into the world. Friends, in that regard, I think this is a good chaser to last Sunday's sermon, to the last two weeks. We were talking about vision and mission here at Woven. And as we talked about vision and mission, this is the biblical, I think this is the biblical, the biblical oomph. Well, why should we be a diverse church? Who cares? Why should we be a diverse church for the, uh, you know, for, for the greater Houston metro area? Why does that matter? I think Daniel is the answer to that. That the world needs people, and hopefully not loners, but a few friends, a few friends filled with the Spirit of God that are able to go into the outskirts of places and be influences, to stand up even in the difficult spots. I'd like to transition to the communion table at this time. I don't know what situations you have in your lives, the difficult places that you might have, the difficult spots. Maybe you're not looking forward to tomorrow. Maybe there's a situation at work or a situation at home or a relationship or something that is strained. And you know, and you know the right thing to do is to stand and to not compromise. And we talked about resolution, that how we have to set it upon our hearts to do the right thing. And you know that you have to do the right thing, but you don't seem to have the strength. You don't know if you're willing. Come to the table. Come to the table today. Because this is food for the journey. And by partaking of the food for the journey, may you find the strength that you need going forward. May you find the nourishment that will help you to stand when everyone else bows. Amen. Let's close our eyes. And I'd just like to invite you to just reflect, reflect on how God is calling you at this season of your life to make a stand. And to pray silently to yourself for the resolve.